Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again. Glad you guys are here. Welcome to those who will be joining us online. Glad you are there. Uh, as we get started, we want to pause. We want to remember a few things. We want to, I don't know if any of you, I'm sure some of you saw the email request for Sue Benson. Um, I talked with Ben this past week, I think it was Friday, where they had found a spot on Sue's pancreas and they wanted to get it tested, but they couldn't reach it. But while they were doing some tests, they did find some other spots on her lymph nodes and they did test that and it was found to be cancerous. And so they are going to be operating, taking away the cancer that they can find and then the next step will be determined. And so, as many of you know, she hasn't been feeling well, has been having some stomach problems, and it's a difficult thing because there's this looming of what it could be. I mean, that's how they found my mom's cancer again. It started in the lymph nodes and directed them to the cancer. But we want to be praying for the family, uh, for peace, for strength, for healing, uh, for wisdom, um, just all these things. And as the Lord puts it on your heart and your sensitivity to them, you know, by all means, extend yourself as you feel led to show love. I'm grateful for all the people who, you know, showed love to us when Corrine was down, um, showed love to me, brought food. So, you know, but it's something that is heavy on our hearts. So let's pray for Sue and for our time together. Lord God, life is so precious, and when circumstances like this happen to those we know and love, it hits hard, and we feel helpless, sad, and concerned. So many emotions And our desire is for goodness to take place in Sue's life with Kristen, Ben, the kids, the whole family. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal that goodness to them through healing, through medicine, through doctors, kind nurses, and through us this extended family in Christ, 
that we could love and be a representative of your love to them in some tangible, tangible way through this time. We are grateful for them, the friendship, the relationships we have with them. And Lord, ask that during this difficult time, we could be even closer in some way to them. Lord, there are others who come to my mind who are going through difficulties. And I pray that, again, we would step in as we can and as you lead us in ways that are sensitive to the needs, to the people, but also that are representative to you. Father, I thank you for at least an awareness of peace and goodness even in these situations, for your presence that is not separated by these things, that life nor death nor things present or things to come can separate us from the love that you have in Christ. We are grateful for that and grateful for our time here this morning. Bless we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. I want to shout out, thanks, Adelio, for fixing our sign, getting an extension ladder, putting it on your truck, risking life and limb. Yeah. The spotter, and thanks, Mary, for holding the ladder. Again, grateful for everyone who helps contribute to allow these things to happen and us to be here. Uh, Thanks for those who support us, those online who never even attend Genesis. We're grateful for those of you who are here, Gil, Rick, and Randy, Brianna. Nice to have you in here with us. Um, It just reminded me, Randy, the building's open because I didn't know. So just keep an eye on it. Um, Should be good. But anyway, so grateful for everyone who makes Genesis what it is because it is all about the community and thankful for this community. Um, Today I'm going to talk about grace. I'm continuing in Ephesians chapter 2. And I wanted to start off of why I do the things that I do. I know sometimes it's like, why do you just have to throw wrenches into what we've been taught or, or, or believe? I'm not trying to just be controversial, right? I'm not trying to just upset the the cart when things strike me as unusual and when I hear something that causes me to think, it forces me to dig deeper and look at things maybe in a different way and that's what I do and I, I share it with you but I do it also because there is a long history of abuse between the hierarchy of church and the laity, where there has been a manipulation and control in so many ways. And so, for example, if salvation primarily means going to heaven instead of hell, then we can sell indulgences to make sure the people you love aren't tormented eternally because we are praying for them or the people who can help them get out do, right? Things like that happen. And 
not so fast, Protestants, right? Don't be, yeah, those Roman Catholics, those terrible people. In the Protestant church, there became, uh, we are the gatekeepers of knowledge of the scripture. And to have the right view of salvation, you have to follow this doctrine. And if you don't, then you are in danger of hell. It's so much so that John Calvin wrote in a letter addressed to William Farrell and Peter Verrett, dated February 13th, 1546, if you want to look it up. If he, speaking of Michael Servetus, comes to Geneva, I shall never let him go out alive if my authority has weight. Now, you might just think that's an exaggeration, but it wasn't. The posture of the Protestant leadership at that time in that place had him burned to death for his differing beliefs. Ta-da, right? These are things that happen. And maybe it's not as extreme today where we're not burning people alive because they believe children can be baptized or should be baptized, or we're not taking money from people, maybe some people still are, to try and pray your loved one out of hell or out of purgatory into heaven. But there is still this control that takes place with people who have power over those who don't, and it happens in Christendom. And the challenging of those things should never be dismissed, disregarded. We, we don't want to gaslight someone's idea or thought just because it's different than maybe what we have grown up believing. And holding on to this sacred idea without the ability to question it has a long history of bad things happening. And so I think we should be able to question. We should be able to wonder and have differing opinions and challenge even the status thing without this fear of, you believe that, you're going to hell. Okay, don't say anything because, man, I don't want to go to hell. You're a heretic. Well, Luther was considered a heretic, right? And so many people who are now heroes of faith were at one time heretics, And so I don't want us to fall into a place where we can't question, where we can't wonder, where we can't explore together. I loved our conversation last week. It was great to have dialogue and a discussion about the different ideas we thought just of salvation and what it means. It brings depth to our understanding. It it gives us insight to where other people are at. And and so I think this is so important. And just as salvation, I believe, meant more than just going to heaven instead of hell, grace also means more than just unmerited favor from God. And a couple of books you can look at that I kind of used in my preparation for this is one that's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by Richard Richards and O'Brien. And the other one was Paul and the Power of Grace by John Barclay. That one is kind of tough. I had to get like abridged versions of it and listen to commentaries on it because it was a hard read for me. Um, So maybe you guys can breeze through it. But for me, I was like, what is he saying? But he's got some powerful points that I think are relevant to what I want to talk about. So let's start with the passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. 
For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That sounds like image bearing to me. God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Grace in a religious context usually refers to God's favor, gift, or benefaction. But this word, grace, which in the Greek is charis, it was used in the Roman world towards any gift of kindness. Both grace and faith were common terms used in the culture at that time. Really, it is more of a posture towards somebody. And so grace or generosity towards others was the best form of insurance that you had at that time. It was your relationship. It was how people formed social bonds. Should you need help, then you could call on those bonds that you had made with these people. Jesus talks about this in Luke 16 about the shrewd manager right? The guy who's getting fired and he says, oh man, what am I going to do? I've got no, no where to go. I'm old. What am I going to do for a living? And so he goes to all the people who owe his owner, his Lord money, and he negotiates with them and says, you owe you know, this much, pay less and everything will be settled. And he makes all these deals. That was grace to those people because then that relationship that he had with those people would sustain him later on. He made friendships with those people and that was showing grace to them. And in turn, they were going to give something back to him. Because of this, finding worthy recipients of of your grace was important because you were now associated with them. If you showed grace to someone, you were in relationship with them. And so to avoid disappointment or embarrassment, you would give gifts, show grace, make deals to people who could repay you or who would somehow further your reputation. You would find people worthy of your gift and worthy could be anything. It could be social status. This person is in with someone high in the community that can help organize things so that it will help my business. It could be monetary. This person has money so that they can supply me to develop my business. It could be if they were a citizen of Rome, this person could get me to maybe get taken lightly over some things where a person who isn't a citizen of Rome might be looked on more harshly. And so all these different forms of relationship were part of worth. What is it worth to me? But in this grace giving, there was an expectation of loyalty in return. And it's kind of like the Godfather. That's the best idea that I could think of, right? Don, how are we going to make this work? I'll make him a deal he can't refuse, right? They're, they're going to, but then what happens, right? Okay, I'm going to, you know, Don Corleone, I, I, I need this job. I need to, don't worry, I'll take care of it. But when the time comes, you better be on my side. 
And so there is this understanding of reciprocity that was included with grace. It was normal for them. I'll help you with your financial problem, but when I need help in some way, you will have to return the favor in a way that helps me. And so it might not be if I have money, I can give money and you won't have money to give me, but you will have something that's of a benefit. And when I ask you for it, you will give it to me. Now that's very different than most of our understanding of grace, right? For us in the Western world, grace usually means free and that it is unmerited or not earned and there is no expectation of paying it back. It's kind of like Santa Claus, right? He gives gifts, but he doesn't expect payment. The only problem with Santa Claus, he does require you be naughty or nice, right? Otherwise, you don't. he passes by those who are naughty. But Jesus and Paul, on the other hand, are really kind of the opposite of Santa. The Christ gift is given to the unworthy, but there is an expectation of loyalty given with grace if we understand the context of when the scriptures were written. And that's what I want to lean into. And that's why the title is Grace with Strings Attached. Because grace does require something, but maybe not what we thought it would. And now, I know this might sound the opposite, again, of what we've heard You know, this could label heretic, this is heresy. But I want us to think about this. And again, the information that I read about the culture it was in and even about some of the scriptures that we read. Why it seems like, I think there are some attachments here. It doesn't seem like Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm just forgiving you and it doesn't matter what you do anymore. It seems like, no, you gotta pick up your cross and follow me. Those kinds of things are still attached. And so I want to lean into this and not just shut the door yet. And what I've been trying to do again over the past years is put some theology on the table and ask you to consider if there might be a different way to see things that makes more sense in light of our understanding of the time and of our understanding of Christ. Because if I have a belief system that doesn't resonate with what I read and understand of Christ, do I want to hold on to that belief system? Even though I think it might be, quote, scriptural. What if my understanding of the scripture is wrong? Even like what we talked about with women, right? Where we saw, oh, there's a cultural aspect, but then there's a whole lot more that's taking place. Well, what is Christ's interaction? Well, we saw it was very different. And so I want to lean into that. What John Barclay does is he gives six dimensions, or he calls them perfections of grace, that if looked at, help to clarify some of the problems we wrestle with when it comes to grace. The point is to give us a broader understanding of what grace is meant to be. This means that when we encounter it in Scripture, our desire is to have an understanding of what was meant because when we simplify things, many times we lose the nuance of what was there. We, we lose the depth of what was being said. We, we limit how we understand something if we just want to make it simple. 
And sometimes we are blind to things because it's not a part of our vocabulary, our religious vocabulary. Remember years, probably years ago now, we talked about the color blue wasn't identified in ancient history until like the Egyptians, where they would go to some tribes and they didn't even know the color blue. It didn't show up in their artwork. It didn't show up in anything because they didn't have language for it. And until they gave language for it, then it started becoming well-known. But they'd show these tribes these two colors and they would just say it was green because they didn't know this was blue until someone named it, labeled it, and associated, see this, it's different than this. We're gonna call this something else. And what happens with us when we look at things that maybe we've heard all our lives, but we say, look at this, it's a little different than this. And even though we might call it the same thing, it has a little different meaning that gives us a little bit more understanding into the variance that's taking place. And I think that's important to be able to do. And so one of the dimensions or perfections that he talks about is superabundance. And this one is pretty common for us, right? Large or lavish ways or for an extended or sustained time, it's the gift is given. So someone who has a lot gives a lot more than what is expected for a longer period of time, right? So First John 3 is say, look at the, the love that the Father has lavished on us. This is an extended grace that God has so much and he's given us so much. It's a super abundance. And so that's a, a type of grace and a dimension of it that we look at where there's just an overwhelming amount to be received or given for an extended period of time. The second is singularity, and that focuses on the goodness of the giver and their orientation towards you. So the only position someone has is good towards you, right? The the single purpose is to do good for you. So James would say every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadowing. Right? This is the posture. It's single in its intention. That it's meant to do good for you. That's the purpose of this gift or this grace. The third is priority or, or timing of the gift. The gift is given before there is any initiative by the recipient. So it starts before there is a request. Right? So... We love God because he first loved us. Paul would say in Romans 5, while we were still or yet sinners, Christ loved us. This is something that was intended for good and was given beforehand. Before there was a request for it, there was the gift for it, which again is culturally different because usually grace was given when a deal was made with somebody. The fourth is incongruity, the difference between the giver and the receiver, the mismatch between someone very rich and someone very poor, someone of status and someone with no reputation. The gift was given with regard to the worth of the recipient, regardless of the worth of a recipient. And this is culturally the opposite of what was being done at the time. At that time, a gift was given if 
someone could repay. And so Jesus said, what good is it if you only do good to those who do good for you? Don't the Gentiles do that? Well, yeah, that's exactly what they did. That's what was happening. That's what grace looked like. And he's saying, I want you to do good for someone who can't do good for you with no expectation to receive back. I want you to just be good because you can, not because they're gonna give you something back just because it is your ability to give to them. Number five is the efficacy. The gift achieves something. This is where our reformed brothers and sisters would call it irresistible grace. Once the gift is given, it does something to you. And so you give without an expectation to receive, but once you give, the person who receives it is now compelled by the gift to respond in some way that is going to show goodness, that is going to change their interaction or relationship with you because you've done good for them. And so John 4, 1 John 4 would say, if God loved us in this way, shouldn't we love one another? Right? Look at what God has done. And if he's done this, what's our response supposed to be? So the anyway, the gift achieves something. It's effective in what it's doing. It's not requiring it, but it does something once it's received. And then the sixth is the non-circulatory. A circular gift is a gift that expects return, reciprocity. This gift of grace can't be repaid materially or in the same fashion, but it does require gratitude and loyalty because that is part of what grace is. And Barclay cites other literature where the gift needs to be responded to in order to give that gift honor. You say at least thank you. You honor the gift by response. And one of the things we are going to see about faith is that it only really shows itself in action. And the same thing is kind of true with grace. Grace shows itself in response, in action. Grace and faith, again, weren't religious words in the ancient world. They were used to define a patron and a client relationship in the ancient world. You know, a tax imposed that, you know, I'm just a farmer. I can't pay this tax. And what do I do to change the law? I'm just a farmer. I just know how to, you know, farm whatever wheat or whatever things I'm farming, strawberries. My granddaughter loves strawberries, right? So I'm farming strawberries, but all of a sudden the government puts this tax on, okay, if you're gonna farm strawberries, we're gonna require you know, a percentage of what you bring or a percentage of the strawberries has to go here. And you're like, that'll kill me. What do I do? Well, I don't know how the system works. So I go to someone, a patron, and say, hey, you're in the legal understanding, can you help me so that this tax doesn't get put on me? And so they advocate for the farmer and they say, I'll do this for you. 
But when the time comes and I need to be elected into a higher position, I need you to rally your troops, your friends and farmers to have my back so that I win this position because that's now how you reciprocate. That's how you show loyalty to what I'm going to do for you. That was the common way that it was done. Whatever favor they did for you was called grace. And the expected form of payment for that favor was called faith, pistis. And so grace and faith often work together, and we're going to talk about faith next week. But it wasn't a religious way. It was, this is relational. I'm going to show you grace. You're going to show me faith. I see wheels turning in some of your minds now, right? Because now it starts to think, okay, grace and faith, and works, and salvation, all these things start to take a different form, a different meaning in our relationship with them. According to Barclay and others, grace is a gift given without any regard of merit. While we were sinners, it's incongruous, but the gift carries with it expectation because the Christ gift is transformative. It changes and opens up social possibilities that weren't seen before. It changes the dynamic that I now live in. And so this is amazing. And I think this gets to the root of what's taking place here. We see Jesus is ridiculed because he ate and drank with sinners Why? That has no effect on your reputation. In fact, that's ruining your reputation. But what we start to see is that that changes the dynamic of the relationship between the people where the people who were acting one way started responding to the grace that was given to them with a faithful loyalty to him and to the things that he taught. And so Jesus would say, if you're my disciples, pick up your cross and follow me. Or no one putting his hand on the plow and looking back is worthy of me. That's faith. That's a response to the goodness being shown. That is living in the dynamic of this relationship. And that's so important because it's understanding grace in this way that helps open up the different social dynamics that started to take place at that time that made Christianity an evidence of God's goodness. Because now we have Jews and Gentiles sitting together. Now we have people who are very wealthy and people who are very poor. We had people who were property owners and people who were slaves working together. And then you read the book of Philemon where he's talking to a slave owner and saying, he is your brother. And it changes the social structure. Now, there's a whole lot we can go there and we're not gonna go there today. But this is at the heart of what's going on, the different social dynamics that start to take place when there is loyalty to grace, when there is a faithful response to goodness. 
A quote by Barclay says, Grace is given freely in the sense that it is given without prior conditions and without regard of worth or capacity. But that does not mean that it comes with no expectations of return. Christ's gift carries strong expectations because it is transformative. It remolds and remakes the self and recreates the community of believers. The social effects of this divine gift in human relationships are a necessary component of grace. The effects are not instrumental in winning some additional grace, but they are the inevitable and proper working out of grace in human life. So grace is not only about removing a debt we can't pay. It is growing into what is already true of you, that you bear the image of God, and now you live that out in community. Grace and faith are only things that can be experienced in community. And that's why Paul was so upset with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11, when they were coming together to eat and the rich would be there already because they were off work at 11. And they were already eating and they were already drinking. And then the people who were poor came and the food was already gone. And they're having a good time and we're starving. And he says, you're bringing a shame. You're not, drink, you're not eating and drinking in a worthy manner. You're not being faithful to the image of Christ and the grace that was given to you. Or when he confronts Peter for eating with the Gentiles until the Jews come and then he picks up and he leaves and he goes to sit with them and he rebukes them because what are you doing? You are not responding to this grace faithfully. Your relationship to Christ is being affected in a way that doesn't, isn't congruent with the relationship it should be. And so think for a moment of how this understanding of salvation, grace, and faith, as we'll get into a little, changes a passage like, you are saved by grace through faith. Just those words. That you are brought to the image of God by this relationship with Christ that requires a loyalty to the image he has put within you. It takes on a whole different meaning. That's transformative. It's not just a fact, this is what's happened. It's an invitation into what God is doing. And I I think that's beautiful. And so, of course, James could say things like, can faith without works save you? Think of that. Can can a honoring of something that doesn't affect you bring about the image of God in you? No. No. You see, and once we take this off the hell or heaven table and, you know, accept or deny either or and put this into a a more cultural understanding, it takes on a whole lot more nuance. doesn't mean there still aren't, 
you know, fingers that go into these different areas, but it's so, so much more. And I think it's just beautiful. I, I think it looks more like Christ and what he did and what he taught. So I'm excited to talk to you guys more about this and get your feedback on it. And that includes those of you who are watching. You guys can always email us. Most of you can get my phone number and text me uh, if you want or call me. Um, But this is a great conversation. And I hope we'll lean into it because I think it produces something good. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that you break down barriers that keep us from having conversation and relationship. That you invite us into places that cause change. That you invite us into a relationship that is transformative. And how we live not only towards you, but towards one another. This is what grace does. And I pray that we would see how it can do that for the good in each of us. And in turn, may we do that for those around us. I do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I look forward to our discussion here in a moment, but may you understand that the lavish love that has been poured on you by Christ compels your faithful response to bear his image. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week, and we'll talk again next week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.